happy early Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another <laughs> episode of uh, the Excalibros. I think that's our name, Excalibros. Uh, I'm Georgie, and I slept in. Sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> but uh, on the podcast, we have, of course, Dan. Yes, yes, and I haven't slept in. Oh, I could have slept in because in my in my timeline, um, it's the afternoon. <laughs> in your timeline, do you have a different timeline than us? <laughs> it feels like it at the moment. Well, Dan's here. He was able to uh, cover my ass because we have a special guest, uh, Jason, from the podcast that goes Snick this year. Hi, guys. And I don't know what Sweep is. Because <laughs> he has little kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm so, so sorry, but... Uh, this is going to be a little bit weird, because I haven't uh, caught up on everything yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> all the time in the world, and I have not done my duty. This is where we're we'll at now. Your, we'll get your real first impressions. Yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, last episode we talked about adding uh, a new book, which we might be doing, uh, and probably why Jason is, is here on the show, uh, and we're super excited. Um, but before we get going, Jason, how you doing? How how are how are you holding up? Man, we are doing good. Um, just keeping everyone distracted and safe, and still trying to to work around all that. But you know, at the end of the day, we're we're all healthy, and that's the most important part. And, For sure. You know, and just kind of kind of figuring out how to make everything else fit. <laughs> but, are you able to uh, work from home, or, or how's that yeah, going? Yeah, yeah, no, I, um. Yeah, definitely working full-time from home right now and trying to work around nap times and doing some working at night so I'm not ignoring the kids all day and, right. and you know, just making it work. <laughs> my, uh, my my boss is working from home and he's got like a, a uh, six-month-old. So Ooh. every, every like, video conference or whatever, we just hear, like, screaming in the background. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always been on a couple of conference calls. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, um, today uh, we're going to be covering our normal uh, books plus uh, X Factor number 71, which is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. I think uh, we've spoken about this, but we have some fond memories of this book uh, from the early 90s, and maybe we like it more, maybe we like it less. This will be interesting to find out. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to start with a different 90s book, Generation X. So, Dan, you want to hit this off? Yes, Generation X, um, number 13, um, Generation X versus M-Play, the continuing saga of boredom, as I've um, underscored it. Um, <laughs> so, we have a front cover, and I, I must admit that Though I like the background wrapping paper style of the X's, um, <laughs> um, I'm I'm just not fond of this whole like let's have another background because we can't be bothered to make the M play image a full image. Um, it's a bit of a cheat, right? Yeah, he's like I can, <laughs> I've only got time to do like like this, and it's not even a full page. And like fuck it, just throw a border around it. We'll throw it out there. They'll buy it anyway. It was like a Photoshop project. Yeah, <laughs> and. And like like from a beginner class. <laughs> like, oh, oh, mom, I took this Photoshop class on Saturday. Look what I made. 
they might as well have just put a black box there. There's so much um, darkness in this image that there's no point of even having M plate there. I feel like right, right. the shadow, the shadow but, is but, um, Yeah, but M plate does have his. He's uh, practicing social distancing with his face mask, so he's good. True. Also, the pitch blackness has more characterization than M plate ever has, so. Um, <laughs> I think maybe the commentary on the on on the um, it's Bacala's commentary on on this storyline. Um, so apparently it was written by Scott Lobdell. Um, I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> yeah, it's about, um, Tom Grumman is penciling and Mark Quickenham is inkers. If I could find the rest of the, oh uh, right, it's right in the corner because. This is how the 90s used to do creative pages. There's random little red bubbles all around a page. Um, Richard Starkins and Common Craft are the letterers. And uh, that literally just says Team Butchie? Boucher? As uh, the colorists? Does that mean there's like several people? Like an entire team? Is that like a family name? What it, what it um, sounds like. And they have colors and separations. Oh, yeah. So I find there's two teams that that make the colors on this book. So, um, we left our kids incapacitated by M plate, um, with M essentially um, being tied up. There's a lot of tendrils, lots of um, bondage gear. It's like a, it, yeah, it's bizarre. Um, it's the usual business. Come back, work for me, let me feed off your marrow. Um, your friends will go away. I'd totally trustworthy in keeping this deal. Um, it's essentially Emblate's play. Usual, um, brother-sister dynamic in, in comic books. Um, <laughs> it is a whole lot. It's a whole lot of nothing for a long time. Uh, it's really hard to describe anything that goes on that I even gave a shit about. Um, M runs away. She escapes. She rejigs the fire alarm to do something, which ends up sending like a message to someone that turns up at the end. Because I don't understand how fire alarms work. Clearly, I didn't know you could re like send an SOS Morse code style through the. Um, uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, um, some really bad German. Um, accent burst through the door. Yeah. And, uh, he bad. He's just doing his stuff. M, who is essentially has the powers of Superman, and we often forget it because Lobdell usually has her in a catatonic state as opposed to kicking ass. Um, essentially, just flies him around the place. He, they do little to no damage to each other, but most of it is structurally, so it's a Zack Snyder film, and. Um, I yeah, love that sudden, suddenly we have some characters just buried up to their neck in dirt. Just just yeah. suddenly. <laughs> How did that happen? Quicksand, man. Like one, one of the most dangerous things on the planet. Quicksand. Sure. <laughs> right in the backyard <laughs> for their mansion right. is the deadly quicksand that they're always... <laughs> and Indiana Jones flies above on a vine. He just swings over. Hey, guys. Well... It's it, it's fine because it's it, it's just chatter with a girl we don't really know that's part of Jonah's past. Um, he's clearly over her and she's not, and that's why they're 
So I missed I missed something because I haven't been reading long. So she faked being paralyzed. Pretty much, it seems like. Okay. Way, doesn't it? Okay. All right. <laughs> but she can't move at the moment. So oh, right, right. <laughs> the quicksand made it real. All right. There you go. And then um, this guy vomits on... Is um, that what happens? I had no idea what happened. Yeah, it's like the fighting... Is that the quicksand? Mud? I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like it's someone's diarrhea, but I don't know... The power's no, not exhibited before or after. It comes out of nowhere and is not explained. And so, apparently... even. Even though he's punched her through a wall and such forth, a simple tree is is what he thinks is going to stop her. Um, after everything else, he's punched her through and has done nothing. And then he shrinks because that's his power. Because um, Leech and Artie uh, turn up, and I'm pretty sure Leech is the one that speaks, and Artie's the one that does holographic thinking. But in this, it's the other way around, and it confuses. Oh no! You're right. Because like, leech, leech is green, right? Right, leech right. Green. Oh, these ass wipes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really like. I have a really big soft spot for Artie and Leech, so that bums me out. It just it just feels like because it sounds like Leech, so it just feel like it's maybe like a color. Whoever's color, right. yeah. One of the teams of people that were assigned to color clearly missed the the note that they're not supposed to be. Uh, that's supposed to be the other way around. And then um, M-Play is sort of... He's not even monologuing. He's, he's just sort of, he's just letting Jubilee monologue, essentially. Um, while Banshee's like, oh, if I could just get free. And then M flies around, only to be um, attacked by um, our Age of Apocalypse uh, Byzantine, who is now super evil, um, and is about to get his head blown off by Bishop whose costume I forgot existed until this issue. I do not like that costume at <laughs> all. Um, Bishop, who found out how to what the message was when the fire alarm, Morse code, electrical pulse, whatever it is she did. I know she'd be super, super, super intelligent, but like I feel like she just pulled some wires out. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that was pretty much it. And then... Um, my highlight of the book, if you skip the letter pages, is the is it, you guys will have seen it because I sent you this um, book is the wish list slash promo pages. Uh-huh. For, I, I I forgot they did this and it's really nice to see like each individual thing, each individual issue has a blurb, and then it's telling you that um, Carl's Patio is going to be doing Excalibur, and I was like, oh, these all sound really interesting. Which I think is indicative of how boring the actual book was. Um, <laughs> so, I have not been a fan of this arc. And the idea that it's going to have another issue um, after already having three uh, <laughs> breaks my heart a little. Because we, we do need the team to fight villains. And M-Plate's been the only main villain. But we're at the cusp now of Lubdell sort of leaving the book in about five issues time I think and I think the main problem here is he's rushing his big M plate fights the Gen X's sort of finale thing that he set up in the first first couple of issues especially with most of the Gen X team are just dangling in cocoons um, mm-hmm. 
I don't really know. Like M's characterization is completely shifted to to sort of generic superwoman in this issue. Like she doesn't really because like. M hasn't spoken much, but she comes across as an arrogant so-and-so and a bit of, um, you know what I mean? She's got, like, a a personality. And in these last two, three issues, <laughs> sort of disappeared. That's sort yes. of all disappeared. It has disappeared. It's certainly gone. I feel, I feel like the M we know wouldn't be, like, acting the way she does around this big bruiser. She'd have just wiped the floor with him and said if he come back about how amazingly superior she is about to them. You know what I mean? And also she's got so many superpowers. I feel like she shouldn't, wouldn't have run away. She would have just taken them all out. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's like a different character. It's, it's, it, the last couple issues have then you hit it on the head. It's been a weird shift from like, Hey, we're really like exploring these, these kids and we're taking it seriously to like, uh, this kind of just like throw some schlock on the page. Let's let's get on with this story already. I'm done with this. It's you know it's really disappointing, Dan. You and I, uh, and I hope this isn't the same way for X Factor when we get to this. But uh, I have like great memories of 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 Generation X, and I think most of those are held up by like the first ten-ish issues of this series, plus Generation Next from X, um, Age of Apocalypse, right? Which is that four-issue mini, uh, which I thought was was really excellent. So like, oh yeah, this is gonna be amazing and we've we've done the last couple of issues here that have been terrible and then is this going to continue for like 60 more issues <laughs> my my gen x memories are separated in artist terms so battle and then the dodson right um so i have like oh there's all the battle stuff it's amazing and then i was like oh, i really enjoyed it when the dodson took over and they gave him uniforms and then when the book went a bit more superhero-y I do not. Rem- I I forget that there's like a, a good chunk of issues between those two um, sections, which I think I erased from my mind. Um, <laughs> they're not pleasant. And what really annoys me is I did actually. You know, I said the um, government uh, did Superboy from the nineties. I went back and looked at his Superboy work, and I was like, "What the fuck happened between those two books? Did he just take the pay- paycheck and?" So I got cordaded all over the page. <laughs> it's not. It's not bad. It's just. Really... Some is okay. I feel like to me, like Monet, he does this weird thing with her hairs. So she looks like she's in her fifties. Yeah. Um, and I'm. And that's not a. Oh, she needs to be hot. Like it's not. I'm not talking about you know wank fodder. It's just <laughs> she just looks old and like weird. Um, but then, like, Jubilee looks pretty decent. Um, uh, the, the smoky guy looks pretty cool. Um, but yeah, uh, the art, I was like, you, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember him from DC stuff and liking a lot of his DC stuff, both before on Superboy and after this. I think he, I think, didn't he do some Teen Titan stuff, like, in the late, late 90s? Or am I, I may be mixing it no, up. I think you're right. I think I think what's happened here is the colour work. Yeah. I think having, having the team of a hundred colourists or whatever, um, the whatever brood they've created to colour this book, has um has damaged it irreparably because it's the the colour work's just muddy. Yeah, it's muddy and bland. Yeah. 
I would agree. This was not the issue that made me say, oh, the Excalibros, the Excalibros are right. I need to go read all the Gen X books. <laughs> this was not... No. Uh, this, was not, this is not a good starting point. No. Read <laughs> like the first... Y'all talk about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I will when I get there for sure. But, um, yeah, I, hearing y'all's conversation, it feels like this is definitely just another, another turn down the wrong road for you guys, and I feel bad. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll get past this one. Um, <laughs> it's 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 like I said, Jason. When you get to the first like arc, and then you get to the if you do the Age of Apocalypse stuff, it's like okay. You know how we're always like, oh, this artist and this writer are really in sync, and they're really like tapping into something here. That's they've like struck gold. And then I don't know if Labdell gets bored or Bacalos just like doesn't have the time anymore to to draw the book. So it it. Uh, takes a couple hits but i hope you enjoy the first part at least well i'm you know do you think because at this point lobdell has already switched over to uncanny so do you feel like he's just like oh well why why would i spend as much time here when i'm writing the real x-men over here very well could be there was a lot of time oh oh, wait wait i'm sorry he's currently writing uncanny and x-men and he yeah. starts. He's the guy that really starts tying those books back together. So I'm wondering if he just doesn't care about this book anymore on his last little arc. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I remember um, reading that there was some sort of internal politics that left Gen X without um, a runner. <laughs> yeah, without a runner for quite for quite some time. I think as well. Like it's completely because I remember when they did put the dodgings in the book just to try and give it a uniformity or like a different, give it a, like a direction. Um, but we'll see if that even, even we'll see if that even works. Um, looking back at it. Um, I love the characters though. I still love the characters. There's nothing else. Wow. This was, uh, I'm sorry you had to read this, Jason. That's all I can say. No, no problem. <laughs> I, I always enjoy a little Jubilee Bantor, so that was fine. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, let's move on to an issue I think you probably enjoy more, which is Excalibur, number 24. Um, and on the cover, we've got uh, Rachel dressed up as Shadowcat hiding behind Captain Britain as everyone's talking to Saturn and they're trying to pull a scam here. Um, I, I, I kind of like the... I mean, it's great to have Alan Davis drawing. Um, I, I love the how the characters look, but the background is just like weird shapes. Feels like uh, a little, a little bit half, half-assed here. What do you guys think of this cover? I really like Lockheed pulling on the wig. Like I thought that was genuinely like real funny and kind of cutesy. Um, right. And Meg, and then Megan and uh, Alistair, kind of like looking up like who us? And then uh, Widget like doing the eye, like the side eye. Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought the little personality things were fun, and I think right. definitely probably spent more time. Working on that, then kind of the Wizard of Oz pastel, undetailed backdrop. <laughs> right. I'm I'm a big I'm a fan of the cover. It's also apparently now on sale twice a month. That's yeah. What it, what yep. Summer of '91. Everything goes double shipping. Damn. Or um, all, all the big books. Mm. Which I, <laughs> I guess Scalbro was a big book. What? 
Because we're still in the cross time caper, so we probably need a double shipping just to get through that. that <laughs> well, we're at the end. We're at the end. <laughs> There's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. I love. It's I just did. me that Saturn looks like she has like a Thundercats belt on. Yes. Oh, I, yeah. She, she is a. Huh. Um, Crazy. Summoning the Thundercats. Well, um, as Dan mentioned, it's the end of the Cross Timekeeper. Finally, thirty issues later, and this thing is over. Uh, out of out of, uh, oh, I mean, in all honesty, 20. it's not thirty issues. It's more like fifteen issues. <laughs> right. It's only like a year and a half of books here, um, but uh, right. it's right, over. Right. So, so, so just to just to right, according to according to the first Cross Timekeeper Funk Fair. Is part one of nine. <laughs> That's fucking bullshit. Um, <laughs> when it, when she was that, remind me, is that twelve? That's twelve. So um, not yeah. only did he die, um, <laughs> he added three extra issues. Um, well, and I hate to warn you guys, but twenty-five is pretty much just a cross time caper epilogue. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's. I feel like someone needs to hold Claremont to account for war crimes. Thanks to this film. <laughs> okay. However, um, this book, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. This is not a bad one. Uh, we've got writer uh, Chris Claremont. Well, it says by Chris Claremont and Alan Davis. Uh, the finisher is Paul Neary. Colorist, Glynis Oliver. Letterer, Tom Warzachowski. Um So, uh, we're back, guys. And we're tempting fates. And we see both uh, Saturn and Courtney Ross as two uh, faces of the same coin here. Saturn's upset and Courtney's about to give Kitty a birthday surprise day for reasons. Um, even though I don't know if those reasons are fully explained. I don't care. I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, our, our team has finally made it back to Saturn who uh, is really cross. And she's like, Phoenix... Is, is in trouble, I'm going to get Phoenix. And so, uh, Phoenix has to hide for an issue. It's a, it's a fun little conceit. Uh, back on Excalibur's na- native Earth, Kitty wakes up in in Ross's bed, uh, alone, and Ross's like, hey, here's a cake. Lick it off my finger. We're going to do stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> and they share... A, a, Courtney Ross has a like a kind of like a, a sinister but a little predatorial smile going on. Shadowcat's like, well, maybe I'll be into this, and um, <laughs> uh, we go back to the hub where Saturn is, and the like Excalibur is deciding they they have to pull a fast one against Saturn and, and Nightcrawler, who, you know, they they have like, is he a doctor, right, Dan? They're they're stowaway here. Yeah. We have a legitimately intelligent person who has done nothing the whole cross-time caper except, like, get kidnapped, who still isn't helping out. But we've got Nightcrawler who comes up with a tactical plan, and he, we get this great, like, this great smile, this panel at, at the bottom right of what page is this? In my book, it's Page 5. Yeah. yeah. My book, it's 290. <laughs> 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 Fuck yourself. Dang. <laughs> But yeah, I, I love that panel. I love having Davis back on the book. Anytime he's yeah. drawing Nightcrawler is just gorgeous. Uh, and any thoughts so far, guys? 
I am in love with everything that's happening. I don't remember Kitty ever returning back on her own regard, um, maybe because it's such a mess. I love the phasing through the quilt, um, phasing her head through the quilt, as opposed to just like getting out like a normal human being. <laughs> uh, I generally think that everyone looks really nice, and it's coloured really well. So it's a nice step up from the last issue we just read. It's always nice yeah. to have uh, Davis and Oliver on the same book, right? Yep. Yes. Any thoughts, Jason? No, I, I think it's really fun so far. I think I think giving Kitty a specific age is always a little problematic. Mm. <laughs> um, I, th- I think having her turn 15 with some very definite... I felt like it was pretty overt sexual tension between her and Courtney Ross. Mm-hmm. Um just, and just it makes it awkward because we're we've already had kind of like the weird like oh is it appropriate for her and Colossus to be in love and then now we're kind of just adding to that with here's this much older woman almost <laughs> she doesn't in, in the end does nothing wrong but and it kind of starts off with like well is she gonna like you know use some kind of like authority to like you know <laughs> like mess things up here so right. it just. There's just kind of a weird tension that could have been alleviated if Kenny was just an older teenager instead of very specifically turning 15. All right. Yeah, Kitty is uh, Kitty is not 15. She's like no. 18, 19. Right. From a, she's well, at least she's not naked or got her clothes taken True. off. Like True. True. Um, <laughs> her face does look older in this in this issue, though. It's like okay, she's just especially when she has her makeover, she comes out from behind that tree uh, in a dress, and you're like, who is this forty year old businesswoman? <laughs> right, right. Margaret Thatcher's hair, and it's a stab. It's wrong. It's just wrong. I love that that we were like, Colossus is eighteen, and it's too big of a of a jump and she was like 13 or 14 so it, it totally was like she wasn't ready for that but now they're right. like hey 35 year old Courtney Ross we can we can work with that right right oh. right right you know and she's going to get drunk and it's just it's like okay just change the number or don't say the number and this story is really really fun and completely innocent and, right right yeah that might be us reading a little bit too much into it but it's, it's maybe, it feels like maybe. it's there I don't know. I don't know. She licks cake off each other. You know I mean? like, she's, she's an older businesswoman feeding a young woman alcohol um, whilst staring lovingly into her eyes. I feel like someone, Alan Davis, <laughs> oh, has clearly got an idea what's going on. It's, it's, it, it happens. So there, uh, Nightcrawler's <laughs> dastardly plot is, I will just dress Rachel up as Kitty. No one will ever tell the difference. <laughs> like, that's his big... Is it, I, how can we solve... Uh, how can we fool the grand monarch of all existence with a wig? That's how we're going to do it. So, right. um, they get... They, they try to meet Nocturne, and the monster police get in the way, and blah, 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 blah. Then we go back to shopping. Uh, because Courtney's taking Kitty shopping for like an adult outfit, and as I mentioned, she walks from behind a tree to reveal herself to be a 45-year-old businesswoman with Margaret Thatcher's haircut and red highlights. Now, um, <laughs> now that she looks bad, it's just like, 
wow, I, I don't remember aging that much when I turned 15 suddenly. Did you guys suddenly become, like, <laughs> did you start looking like your 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 dad suddenly at 15? <laughs> I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a drag mother like Kitty has. Um, <laughs> right I must say something about Davis is that, because uh, on on uh, Jason's podcast that we last recorded, we we talked about mm-hmm. Davis's Davis's work is a little um, aged now, but much like McKelvey now, Davis and clothing in the eighties, he's oh, yeah. like a design. Um, yes. Yep. Like their actual dresses and stuff are fantastic, and like all everyone's been tailored really nicely in any issue he does. Um, but uh, yeah. What happens? What happens in this issue next is just mind-boggling. I feel like sometimes. Was <laughs> Claremont on? Was Claremont on drugs at one point? Like, <clears throat> generally, you just like chilling. Well, it, <laughs> he probably had to be to, to to cover all the books he was writing. Um, <laughs> if, if nothing else, he had to be on like, um, oh, what, what's the drug when you have ADHD? Um, not not meth, uh, because it's slightly different. <laughs> it's, a, it's a slightly different, as, as my friend tells it, uh, tells the joke, and I can't remember. There's a sl- there's like one less oxygen in uh, in in the drug that you need. That's not meth. It's called it's like an am- amphetamine. It's um what do you what, yeah. what do you call it? Some kind of homemade speed. He's uh... no, no, no 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 no. What's the actual <laughs> drugs you get from the doctor when you have like ADD right. or ADHD? Yeah, I'm not sure. Ketamine. That's a horse trunk size. Whoa! It's very opposite. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to the non-drug talk. Um, so I, maybe I, it's just go ahead. High on maybe that's maybe that's how he does it. <laughs> maybe there are multiple. Of that, him. Is that why he doesn't open his mouth? Because he's on meth. <laughs> I mean, every interview I've seen, he doesn't really. He mumbles. He doesn't really open his mouth fully. Is it because he's on meth? <laughs> no, it's, it's not meth. <laughs> You heard it here first, listeners. <laughs> yep, you heard it here. Yes, yep. Dex, dextroamphetamine. No? No. Uh, that's not the name. That's just a kind of drug. Never mind. Lemon sherbet. Is he on lemon sherbet? That's just that's yes. another thing. It's, it's, a very, it's, it's a very famous drug, and it's not like, a, a, like they give it to kids when they can't concentrate. Whatever. So there's adamaxetine, guanfacine, clonidine, mucoprion, Adderall? Adderall, thank you. Adderall. <laughs> and I just was thinking to myself, how do, you, how do you make a child concentrate? And I'm thinking, Adderall? Yes, Adderall, yeah. Right, right. Which is, yeah. is like one less oxygen than methamphetamine. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a very close drug. Um, but, uh, I love Kitty stepped out behind this tree and she's in like full adult woman outfit. I mean, her body has grown. She's grown in height. Uh, she's had a major uh, adult change here, and she's like, I don't know. Let's get some pizza, and um, and then uh, the Courtney convinces her, no love. You need to have some uh, some champagne. So they go for a fancy dinner. Um, then back in the hub, we get a little bit of meta humor here where they're like checking in, and we get some like wacky. Almost like Alice in Wonderland designs from from Davis, as they're they're going over who is here and uh, how each member of Excalibur has a different costume and they're being upset. So they they summon um, uh, the the 
artist archivist. That's the that's the word, the artist archivist, which is Alan Davis, right? Who's in like a weird Superman esque uniform. Um, <laughs> and I love here he jumps like because they accuse him of getting the costumes wrong, and he jumps out of the page like what? I have to draw a new one of these every freaking issue. I, you know how difficult that is? Like, it's meta commentary on Claremont for, like, making him go through this whole thing. <laughs> I wonder if this was actually in the script or not, you know? Or if, or if Davis was like, fuck it. You make me do this. This is the punishment you get. I'm going to call you out in the book. <laughs> I think it's more than just Claremont, though. I think it's a commentary on on comics in general. Um, with all the costumes, especially going into the early 90s, you know, everyone getting new costumes. Right. Uh, you know, and, and getting their, their leather jackets or their mullets or their their half beard or, you know, all the different things that went on in 1990, 1991. Um, I think he's just kind of poking some fun and taking the piss out of out of costume redesigns and how how strong of a, of a game that was at that point in time. Sure, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about it next. Caliber seventy-one. Everyone gets a reboot, soft reboot. So, um, we're at the lovely lady dinner, um, and Courtney almost puts her through like a test of like, hey, you can order and you figure out what's the correct things to order, even though you've never done this before. Uh, so Kitty makes the right choice. They get some champagne in the correct glass. They have a, a a cheers here. And and their date is going swimmingly, right? Uh, at least Corley looks like she's really enjoying herself. Um, back on the hub, uh, there's some fighting with more other versions of people show up. We've got Lady London and Citizen Centurion Britannus, uh, which is amazing, but also a mouthful. Um, and they, they, they fight Captain Britain, who gets beat up, because then, isn't that all he ever does? Eat up and get you. Yep. And then, and then we go back to the date, and we realize that they were in an airplane the whole time, <laughs> having dinner. No, I, no, I think they get <laughs> on the plane after dinner. I like the idea that they are in an airplane. Yeah, I don't know if it's that clear. It almost looks like as as this airplane is ascending, everyone is having a normal dinner <laughs> in a dining hall. <laughs> Over Paris, but whatever. Yeah. Um, then we cut to Nightcrawler having a, another fun um, sword battle here against his like doppelganger. It's, every time uh, Alan Davis gets to draw a sword fight, it's 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 like ingenious and it's it's playful and silly and I love it. Um and Nightcrawler is saved by Megan because Megan is his true love, even if this book never uh lets that happen. Um and then Kitty and, and Ross go to watch some, some jazz for a nightcap, uh, in Paris. Because Paris jazz is definitely where jazz is best. And there's more fighting. Um I don't know, there's, there's a lot going on here. There's more fighting uh, Rachel is, is revealed because there's another doppelganger, blah, 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 the end uh, in terms of the fighting. <laughs> like, it's just, all right, hit, uh, punch, uh, fake out. All right, everyone's here. And uh, at the end, end, end of the date, Ross, like, sets Kitty up with a dude uh, on a barge. And his name <laughs> is John Luke. It's like, they're like, all right, who's on Star Trek? That guy? And we'll just <laughs> give that name to this person. 
and Katie has a fun date. Back on the hub, there's more fighting. One of the, um, what are they called, Nan? Um, oh, God. Um, the... No, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> I, know you, I know you mean, but it's not that All right, well, one of those aliens uh, uh, picks the, up the Rachel, techno. but she's... Techno? Yes, that's it. That's it. But, but she's saved by a little dragon, and uh, at the end... Seturn's like, hey, uh, whatevs, I, I fixed your widget, and if I knew Rachel was here, I'd definitely put her in jail, but I guess she's not here. Do 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 do. Uh, they all travel back to the basement, for some reason, of the uh, lighthouse, and Kitty gives uh, Courtney Ross uh, a morning hug, like romantic, very romantic. Like especially the way their bodies are drawn. Kate, Courtney Ross <laughs> looks like a man in the, like a jacket, and Kitty is like S shaped, like arching her back into her. It's, it's 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 a romantic sort of thing, and Courtney Ross gets her a Jaguar for her fifteenth birthday. What's what's the driving age over in Europe, Dan, or at least in in the UK? Um. Six, well, Back in the 80s. Uh, 16, these days. <laughs> Back then, may have been a little early. In Europe. Well, uh, she then. makes a big deal that she can't drive legally. <laughs> and and Courtney's just like, ah, some people are made to break yep. the rules, and some people are made to make them. Yeah. Some rules are meant to be broken, like, like statutory rape. <laughs> like, is, is, can Kitty drive a stick? Because hey, now. Like, we know, uh, it's Courtney Ross. She doesn't need to. <laughs> Ask Colossus. Jesus. I was just quite amazed, because also, it doesn't look like a Jaguar. Um, no, it doesn't. It's, well, uh, kind of. The headlines are almost right. For a like, it feels more like American, American car. But anyway... Um, Either way, she gets the car and they they drive off into the sunset. And I love that Kitty phases to get into the car. It's just more like those little details yes. that I love. Yeah, I like that too. Um, and everyone's like, "All right, we're back." And uh, Megan gives Nightcrawler a hug because that's the romance that should be. And uh, yes, outside, we yeah. we see that Galactus is here, and I'm like, "Oh, if we could have a whole issue of Alan Davis drawing Galactus, that would be fun." We'll see what happens in two weeks. Yes, well. We don't. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's a different artist, right? I'm sorry, it felt like it took really long there, but there was just a lot of weirdness to get through. But we're we're done with the cross time caper. I think Alan Davis does a great job. It's this is actually like a fun issue, even though we like poke poke fun and like, oh, is this a little creepy? But it, it I really enjoy this this book. What did you guys think? Yeah, a lot of fun. Love the art. Um, it was. It was good. I, I enjoyed the pacing of it. Was pretty good. Um, it was just. It was, it was nice to see the colors. I think Davis and. Um, sorry, I'm stumbling over. Myself. Oliver. And uh, Davis and Oliver together are really really nice. Uh, Neary inking Davis is really really nice. Um, it was just it was a nice return to form for the book that unfortunately is just a small respite. Um, but, you know, for this issue, it was very enjoyable. Um, I loved it. This, if this was the cross-time caper, like, consistently, 
um, across the board, it would have been beautiful to have 12 issues of such a... Because even, even it feels like Claremont is having a bit of fun. So I'm I'm intrigued to see whether how much the script was Claremont and how much was um, Davis. Because mm-hmm. um, soon he takes over, doesn't it? Davis takes over in about 10 issues. I think it's, a, it's, 40, a, it's not 41. I just I just oh. read it. 41. Oh, there you go. Not 10 issues. <laughs> um, but it, it, I don't know. It feels it feels both. It feels like what we just read for 12 consecutive issues. There were some highlights in that miasma. Um, it feels like all of that's forgotten and was never relevant in the first place and it was all just let's have a date with Kitty and Courtney if that was 12 issues of them two having the date I'd rather just read that um, that was a fun date it was really, I think yeah, it was, I think Claremont and Davis together really honed in on just the the quirky weirdness of what a scalper should be in this yeah, issue and yeah. I and I agree if the cross timekeeper had just been more weird just kind of random stuff, I think it would have been more fun. Um, <laughs> I think, unfortunately, having different artists and then Claremont also just kind of being all over the place in tone as well as plot really is what really made this feel even longer than it was, and it was plenty long. Um, but no, it was a nice, nice uh, almost closing chapter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We don't have to see any more doppelgangers of of our bullet heroes again. Um, it won't be too. It'll be too soon. I feel. Yeah, yeah not until yeah. we get uh, probably Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler showing up in this book in like three hundred issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested to see what y'all think that you have a uh, Chris Wozniak doing the book. He's, yeah. he's our, he's our, George, he's not liked his art previously in this book, and that's for sure. Um, uh, he, he guested on two free issues. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. All right, well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's move on to Exiles number 25, Dan. So, um, Exiles number 25, which is a kind of bittersweet um, issue, because not only is it the last issue in the... Tony Stark rules the world, wants to kill all the Inhumans um, storyline, is also uh, Judd Winnick's final issue on the book. Um, So we start with a front cover with Storm and Colossus, uh, gritting teeth as they attack people, I imagine. Um, It's it's okay, is all I'm going to say. (laughs) What do you guys think of the cover? Kev Walker will go on to be a brilliant artist. I'm not, not sure he's quite there yet. Yeah, this so. this covers. I don't know if it's the monotone or I don't know. Colossus just looks. It looks too skinny. If that makes sense, I don't know. It looks like a different well, person. Well, he's thinner in this story, right? Like this version of Colossus is just smaller in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't dislike the cover. The more I look at it, the more I'm, I'm kind of interested in it, but. It's it's nothing stand out. If I like my first first initial viewing, I was like, nah, I don't need this. Meh. So uh, Judd Winnick uh, is writing. Kev Walker is on art. 
pencils and inks. Um, according to my book, it's still Transparency Digital as the colorist. And it's Paul Tron or David Sharp because my book is so unbelievably lax in telling me what issue by issue. Well, um, Marvel Unlimited has Simon Colby as the inker and colorist is uh, Transparency Digital. And letter is Paul Tutrone is what what you know the inside says. Because um, if I ever send you a picture of the inside of my collection, it's mm-hmm. got two, four, six, ten people under Inca. And it doesn't <laughs> yeah. tell me. Yeah, I guess there's no, no need for the recap page in the collection, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so we start on. Um, I've nearly forgotten his name. Black Bolt's wrinkly face, um, all serious and sad, uh, flying over his um, Atalon, flying Atalon, the, the place where Sonic finds the emeralds. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, it's just a flying island. It's the massive Sonic. And um, we have a nice more, uh, foreshadowing on the fact that... Um, Black Bolt's a fundamentalist and has read um, extreme accounts of people dying and being slaughtered from like Native Americans to like um, Mongol emperors of China. And um, I'm just like, wow, that's heavy reading. Mm. Um, so some nihilist there. And um, Sue was kind of like, mm. <laughs> Sue knows what's up and essentially um, is upset and Crystal's like, people have come. And then we turn to uh, Tony and our Weapon X boys and girls. And if you notice, there's a, there's an X-Factor uh, Easter egg. Oh, yeah. With strong sat there um, in the background. And we also know that um, Ben Grimm did not uh, care for his best friend's death at the hands of... Um, well, he doesn't know it's at the hands of Tony Stark, I suppose. But he, he started with Tony Stark as opposed to Sue, which is always an interesting thing to say. Um, and they just attack Atalan. And th- this entire issue is the battle uh, between the Inhumans, Weapon X, and Iron Man. Um, I gotta say, just like last issue, I love the gritty, like, like darkness of the artwork. Uh, I think it's appropriate for the story. Uh, I, I really enjoy... This might be a pretty fitting send-off for Winnick here. Possibly. It also has an egghead Karnak, which is a unique design in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, with the art, the, the full-page spread of the thing leading the charge out of the sky is a great page. Like, that looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I love how it's all lit from the back, so the, the all the heroes just sort of in shadow because they're... Obviously, they would be because there's no sun right. shining on them. It's great, right? Also, because they're not really the heroes, so it right. kind of is. is Thematically works. Yeah, and we get we get some banter uh, between the new recruit Colossus and Storm. Um, we get a really interesting segmented page for Karnak, um, who still, even with an indestructible robot, manages to find the tiniest weakness to make him go skeech or bakish. Yeah, Becky. <laughs> um, and then um, the battle. I don't know if I agree with the decision to um, wide angle panel downwards. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird and hard to um, read. <laughs> so basically, 
emo black bolt um, is very sad. And by the time Gambit gets to Aslan, uh, after everything, the force field's gone down, he finds out that everyone has been either ritually killed or have killed themselves, um, so they couldn't do it for them. And Black Bolt goes into the sky and has a Hulk out um, as he screams the word Masada and obliterates everything. Whereas Tony Stark's in his garden with his damned butterflies everywhere and he gets shanked by Sue and they both die. Um, and that's the end, essentially. Because it's really quick because it is mainly just a battle issue. The, the, the story's kind of like done. It's also very interesting uh, to point out that this is the first time that any of the Exiles Weapon X people disappear way before the quote-unquote finished mission happens. Right. Like, it, it's 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 almost as if, uh, was it they say here? They set in, they've set um, in motion the events that lead to them winning, so they vanish <laughs> before it all goes tits up and they're liquefied by Black Bolt's uh, scream. Um... It's a really somber book. And really yeah, it's kind of heavy, yeah. Um, it looks fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like you said, Georgie, I think the, 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 the idea of having a really dark, gritty, heavily inked, everyone's scraggly-faced um, kind of artistic style really works with the story, and I feel like Winnick's narration kind of is a really good send-off and puts, puts like a pin in his entire run. I don't think... Um, it's weird that he... He uses Weapon X to sort of finish his arc. Um, obviously, previously, he just dispatched Blink. Um, before this arc, so I, I suppose it's a double whammy, but I feel like it's a good way for him to sort of like leave the book on a high, as opposed to like scurry off, because it, it wasn't very good. But I enjoyed this issue. I think I've enjoyed the, the whole... Um, Tony Stark as a psychopath, Doctor Doom, um, story. What about you, Jason? What did you think? I, you know, it, it is very grim, but I thought it was very well written, very well executed. Um, uh, a confession: I, when when y'all first started covering this book, I was reading along, and at some point, I bailed on reading and just listened to you guys. So I haven't read this in several issues. No worries. Um, but this was a good one. It was a good one to come back to. It was very heavy, but not in a, not in a like, oh, we're the 90s, ah, just that kind of way, but just a very sad, it was a very sad story. Um, and, you know, the idea of, you know, Black Bolt's decision taking on the difficult decision and then finding out later that, that Sue Storm did like an invisible arc to take like a population away, um, you know, I was thinking about, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Black Panther's been on TV a lot lately. Um, and so we've kind of, since I like that movie a lot, we've just kind of had it on at random times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we'll be making dinner. Oh, let's, oh, Black Panther's on TBS or TNT or whatever. Just turn it on for a minute. Um, or we're getting ready for bed or whatever. And so a couple of times in the last few days, I've happened to catch the scene where uh, Killmonger and T'Challa are talking. And... Uh, Kilmonger talks about, you know, their ancestors who, who threw themselves off of the boats into the ocean because they preferred drowning to slavery. Mm-hmm. And 
I thought about how, you know, kind of this decision and, and you know, Masada being the historical reference as well uh, with the actual incident that, that uh, Winnick's referring to there. Um, just the idea of how, like, how dire you have to feel the situation is that you prefer death and then not to get too political. It also kind of made me angry <laughs> because mm-hmm. y'all probably also seen <laughs> that stupid picture of that stupid lady with the give me liberty or give me death in front of the fucking Baskin Robbins store. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, and, and it just makes me think, it just really puts it in perspective like, yeah, there is a time, right? For you have to choose. Her sign should say, give me cookies and cream or give me death. Like, that right. it should be a different sign. <laughs> right. It's the wrong sign. <laughs> right. Right, it's a, it's a much different situation than saying, okay, you know, we're we're facing annihilation or or a life that really isn't life. So let's take death over that, and that's you know a much more profound, heavy, and a decision that's not made easily. I mean, there's a lot of tears in this book, which I thought was very fitting. A lot of people crying, um, and so yeah, so I, it just it, it felt oddly kind of uh, timely in a weird way in that this is the right way to kind of look at these kind of issues. Um, but also, it's just a very very satisfying read. Not not a happy read, right? Not a... Right, not right. A, let's, let's get inspired and be joyful, but it was a very satisfying, well-written, well-drawn comic book. I think Walker will get better um, in the years following this, but it's, he's still pretty good. I mean, he's still... So higher than your average comic artist, for sure. It, it's definitely stylized, and that always sort of checks a box for me. But what we spoke about, is this this was just a two-part arc, right, Dan? Three parts. Three parts? The first one. Okay. It's just history of the I, I thought all three were great, uh, artwork-wise. And the tone is very similar. Um, Jason, this like uh, before this arc, uh, Blink disappears with the, from... The regular team, right? And then we were left with this this other Weapon X team that we're following, and it's a different tone because of that. But it also it feels like a, a really well done like Suicide Squad book more than an, an Exiles book. But it okay. it, uh, it works, right? Um, it's it, the deaths don't feel like superfluous, and you know I think Dan, we can talk about. Uh, our, our our full take on Winnick maybe next next recording when we have a little bit more time to ruminate on it. Um, but I, I think it was a good spot for Winnick to to jump off. Even like he's he's sort of wrapped up the blink a bit, and this it's a nice like capper on on what he's done. It's it's kind of his you know we we had our ups and downs with him, but it's it's a shame to see him go now. Yes, and what is next is Chuck Austin. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, oh boy. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. We're <laughs> for, for doing this one this episode and not Chuck Austin. <laughs> no, I, I, if I remember correctly, Clayton Henry is on art. And I, when I first read his work, I really quite liked Clayton Henry's work, like early 2000s work. It's It's got like a slight anime okay. inspiration, but only slight. Um it's really clean compared to and bright compared to this issue. It will be a jarring transition, both writing and um, artistically. Well, we'll, but, we'll get into the next time. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, now on to our, our headliner here. 
Uh, Jason, can you guide us through issue 71 of X Factor? Sure enough. So, um, a new beginning, a new team, their first adventure, and the all-new, all-different, before that was cool, X Factor. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> so we have Peter and David technically doing his second issue of X Factor, but really his first one in his run. Um, he did do the the uh, epilogue to the Mirror Island saga in number 70, but this is him really taking the reins and making the book his. Uh, new penciler, Larry, Larry Stroman, um, inked by Al Milgram, uh, letters by Michael Heisler, Glennis Oliver does the colors. Hey. Um, and on the cover, we have a Stroman and Milgram cover, which is really nice looking. Um, it's our new team in their new uniforms with lots of 90s action lines behind them. But I think <laughs> I like Stroman's art in this book quite a bit. I think his Wolf's Bane is a particular delight. I know she's more like monstery, and maybe that's good or bad, depending on how you feel about Wolf's Bane. But it looks fantastic. Like, she looks just primal and and has a nice energy to her um, and she's forefront on the cover which I think makes sense and then kind of flanked by the rest of the team uh, Multiples Man uh, Polaris Havoc and uh, Guido in the back but what do, you, what do y'all think of this cover I remember seeing this on the shelf was like okay I'm going to give this a shot I think uh, there are panels uh, the, the interior artwork I think I like a little bit more and what's going on here, um, but it's it's very dynamic, and it I don't I don't know what, it, what if it was the uniforms, but when I really started getting the comics, uh, I I decided to make this X Factor book like my my book for for a minute, and and uh-huh. it was this team, and I don't know what it is about the way that they're drawn or or how they interact, but I just, just really excited to see them on the front cover here. Well, that that's not be around the bush. This is iconic. Like this is, yeah. this is this is this is iconic. Uh, I I can't agree with uh, This is the style these characters will be in for decades to come. <laughs> like, right. Wolfbane, she's only to me her being in like a simple wolf form like she's recently is weird and jarring compared to this. This is Wolfbane right. to me and Wolfbane to a lot of people. I think they redefined all four of those characters immediately with this front cover um it has like a, an energy and a sort of i don't want to say grungy but it's kind of like an energy and like sort of 90s feel to it which is distinct and instantly separates it from the other x books and yeah uh you cannot for the life of me tell me that this isn't one of the most iconic x book covers of all time because it's just front and center as a defining because there's just certain covers that just define a character or define like a, a visual style for 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 a, a group of characters or a book forever, and that that this cover for me does that for for X Factor. Before before issue seventy one, there was no X Factor to me. Um, <laughs> so like these it's, are... it's weird that they started the book at issue seventy one. You know, right, not one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um. Well, it's also weird thinking about modern comics how. I mean, this is definitely a number one issue. <laughs> yes, yeah. But but here we, you know, back then you just kind of plugged along. Um, yeah. All right. 
Well, basically, in this one, we start off with kind of really the team coming together. Okay, hold on. I'm sorry. I just realized yeah. that this this issue is, is titled "Cutting the Mustard," which is hilarious. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so we start off with a close off a strong guy who, of course, has glasses glowing, growing out of the skin on his face. Um, <laughs> always, always been a very unsettling look for me. Um, how his glasses seem to like stabbed into his cheeks. But um, yeah. So uh, we're at. I'm guessing it's X Factor headquarters. So they don't really explain like what the connection to the previous X Factor is, but. They're in some kind of headquarters, and uh, Guido, Multiple Man, and uh, Lorna are at a table, and they're they're trying to make lunch. And there's this one jar of mayonnaise, I think, that no one can open. Um, I love the way Strowman draws uh, Lorna's hair. Yes. Uh, yes. It's a it's a very distinct style. Um, we just have kind of lots of snappy, witty banter, um, some of which is really good. Some of it is is maybe trying a little hard. And that's kind of – if you haven't listened to my podcast, uh, Snickcast, or or if you haven't heard me say elsewhere, um, that's kind of my early – late 80s, early 90s criticism of Peter David. Some of it's really, really good. Some of it feels like it's trying really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a mixed bag on this issue a little bit, I think. Um but there is this gag with the managed jar, and they even multiple man hits it to try to make a, a multiple to see if like two of them can open it. Strong guy can't open it. Polaris can't open it with her magnetic powers. So they kind of let it go. Uh, Polaris is really worried about seeing uh, Alex again. Um, you know, just trying to figure out like, uh, are we? What's our status? <laughs> you know, is complicated. Um, <laughs> Then we then we go to Genosha, uh, where Alex is on a work site. They're trying to build. There's a really interesting conversation, like on this rebuild here, whether they're doing something beneficial for mutants or Val Cooper comes in and kind of says, "What's the difference between? Is this just a really nice ghetto for the mutates?" Um, there's a kind of interesting dialogue there. Uh, unfortunately, a steel beam begins to fall. Oh. In an awesome panel, Wolf's Bane jumps out, uh, knocks Alex out of the way. So there's definitely immediately some... Um, now we'll find out why in future issues, distinctly why. But innocently enough here, just, uh, I'm sorry, um, Ron, see, or Rain, seems to have a crush on, on Alex and saves him leaving Val uh, at the mercy of the beam. But that gives us a beautiful panel of, of Havoc blasting the beam. Um, <laughs> a really funny panel of Val being very disheveled. Yeah, I love uh, it. As the particulates of the beam fall on her um, very cartoonishly. Um, then Quicksilver The artwork comes back. here, sorry to cut in, but the artwork of, of Havoc's blast is like so iconic for me. Like, this yes. is how yeah. I remember him using his powers. Right, and, and Strowman is a really cool thing where he, he still plays with the circles, but they're not as um, concentric. Right. Like, they're more kind of chaotic. And even have some, like, Kirby Crackle black spots in, mm-hmm. like, little circles inside. It's Strowman really kind of visually redefines or tweaks Havoc's power in a way that's, that's very, very satisfying. Um 
Yeah, so then we get a, um, a mustachioed uh, lockjaw <laughs> and Quicksilver <laughs> show up. They're looking for X Factor. Um, we find out that Quicksilver is, is having con- uh, trouble with his powers. Um, Havoc is still unsure whether he wants to go join and take up Val's offer to X Factor. So, so Scott just about to change into his new uniform with Professor X in his new wheelchair, stroll in and convince him that he needs to to go home and lead X-Factor, which is basically termed here as a more trustworthy... So, it's basically we'll have the function of Freedom Force, but the trustworthiness and kind of PR of X-Factor. And so that's kind of where we get the connective tissue there. Um, but then Guido finds Quicksilver, brings him into the office, and we find out he's he's dying after we get a somewhat humorous uh, interchange of Quicksilver remembering when when the thing tricked him into thinking the Lockjaw was more than a dog. But I thought that <laughs> I thought that stick though that he really is more than I don't know I don't know who's playing with me at this point. But um <laughs> anyway, Havoc and Rain do go home. Um, there is a nice reunion between Alex and, and Lorna, which it seems to bother Rain a little bit. Um, eventually, Val Cooper is able to open the jar of mayonnaise. And then we find out that Multiple Man had kind of rigged it with a trick. Um, and because he tricked him with the mayonnaise, he gets shot out of the high story window with a double gauge shotgun. And while wow, I was like, okay. Here's our X-Men relaunches. Like, three of these issues end with an apparent death. So, welcome to 1991. <laughs> but also, it's, it's some great art. Like, the orange and red of him being shot possibly three times. <laughs> and then falling out the window and landing. Like, the, the art and the color work there all look really fascinating, really dynamic. Um, it's... Uh, it's somewhat of a slow issue, but really sets up, like, okay, this is what Peter David's, this is how x is going to be for a long time now. So, here you go. <laughs> I think it's gorgeous. I can't stop flipping through the pages. I think Lorna's yeah. hair is a highlight, especially when, like, it's just her face covered in a panel that's just, like, like blank green behind her. You get this idea that it's just, like, flowing uncontrollably, like, she can't even stop it from like covering herself like she's being consumed by this like glorious green hair i i love the character banter between them it's it feels very unique it uh in in sort of the panel layouts and when he decided to use backgrounds and not use backgrounds it's i love it's it's really character driven and it's fun like this was a great like number one issue um dan does does the do the interiors live up to the the cover uh, iconography here? I think so. I think um, what what's really un- unique about um, Strowman's art is that it's it, it's um, art by design almost. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it looks like um, uh, uh, Val and uh, Lana look often like um, off the wall models that you see in sort of old school 80s magazines um, right. and I feel like like he never truly turns um, uh, Wolfman into a, a girl um, per se she's still coloured and 
like animalistic even when she's in her most human of forms and i feel like everything has it has a purpose artistically to from quicksilver's bizarre vulcan eyebrows to like how um guido is just this huge physical presence um in any room and i i also like the fact that um madrox looks like a sleazy politician i i think there's like genuine design i know every every comic book has design but um i feel like there's genuine contemporary design 90s contemporary design going yes. into the four presses of this book where everyone is looking like something that you could grab off uh walking around you um at the time like from like muscle-bound beach guys to really sort of pretty young women it, they all look like something that's just stepped straight out of reality and, um, and it's ironic because it's so hyper stylized that um, the whole perspective of the book is kind of like a reality that's slightly askew from the rest of the Marvel canon at the time um, we talk this is 90, 90, 91 is it? Yeah. and they and then three three years later, we have Bacalo's, um vision of the X universe, and we've just coming out of Davis's vision of, of the X universe. Um, and I feel like there was a conscious decision to pick artists that would separate these books so distinctly from the core titles that um, the book, the the art itself is a character, is a, is a like an extra character, an extra cast member. And um, it is by far the best looking book we have. Even even Davis's, yes, it's shocking to say. Um, for me, it's by far the best looking book out of the four we've read. Because it's such a refreshingly different... Um, dynamic is always a word that is, is used maybe over, overly. But um, uh, Jason that hit it on the head when he said it. It's the perfect word to describe this art. And I could just watch these characters walk around. <laughs> it's so beautiful to see and the idea that a panel is framed by someone's hair is such a genius idea that has obviously been often imitated now but I imagine at the time seemed like a, a something different and unique and especially to like the background police like Georgie to have a full um, green background purely because her hair is some sort of insane magnetic mess um, is, is a beautiful idea I think he does try too hard, Peter David, um, in his early work. Um, I don't think he's um, relaxed in, in 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 his own confidence of his own dialogue yet. Um, and I think that as we read this, we'll see that he slides into what we know as Peter David. Um, but I still think it's 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 whips whip sharp uh, for some of the some of the ideas and the running running gag of the mayonnaise is so quintessentially David that um, it just feels bizarre that it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Well, Jason, you kind of covered this issue uh, on your own, yeah? Yeah, just briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew we were going to talk about it, so um, uh, Grant and I from uh, Sentinel of Liberty uh, kind of did a... because I just did X-Men number one, and we kind of did a companion piece of mm-hmm. the other... Uh, soft relaunches um and so yeah we talked about it a little bit and he was very much on board um art wise i don't think 
I think his his take was that uh, you know it's not quite the Peter David he remembers loving yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that comes a little later, but um, no, I, I think it's such a different tone and type of book compared to just a straight up kind of normal comic booking of of the first seventy issues of X Factor. Um, and it, it does. It does really change what you think of when you think of X Factor after this. Um, and obviously, he gets the credit of having a very, very long run to do that. But um, you know, this is this is the first step. You know, like I said, he did he did technically write number seventy, but this is his first out of the gate. Like, this is my book now. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. And the thing is, there's other than like the kind of the the cliffhanger or, or cliff falling death at the end, there's not really a whole lot of like introduced plot points. I mean, this really is just a, let's get everybody in the same room by the last page um, type of book. And so in, in that sense, it is kind of um, not very actiony, which is fine. Um, you know, a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation with a little kind of burst I think with Strowman, you have to use that word burst of action um, to kind of space it out. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a very welcome change in direction uh, to a book that, you know, it's funny because nowadays, right, I, we guys, the three of us, when we talk about, you know, the different X-Men books, it feels like every X book has a purpose, right? Or a mm-hmm, distinct mm-hmm. kind of, let's, let's do something different here, you know, right. X-Force is different than this. When this book came out, all the X-Books were kind of the same. Yeah. Um, even, even with the subtle differences in maybe art style or whatever, tonally, not a giant difference between, like, the newly launched X-Men versus Uncanny. Um, X-Force is a little more violent, but it's the same type of storytelling. Um, you know, and so this book really sets itself apart as saying we're going to be the X book that does this. And so I, I think that's kind of crucial and really kind of sets the model for how people will address maybe different corners of the Marvel universe going forward. And it's going to take a while before we see that really play out. But I think it starts kind of with books like this. Totally. This is like the prototype of new team, new number one. This is how we're going to set it up. This is the style. This is the reason behind it. Right. Yeah. And I think it really it works really well for the book. Um, I don't know. I, some you, you ever read a book where you, you sort of just get lost in, in looking through the pages? Not not to disparage any of Peter David's dialogue uh, or, or plotting, but you were just like, I'm just going to keep flipping uh, and looking. This this is a, one of those books where I just catch myself just look going from page to page, oogling. Not not at yeah. like the sexiness, but but like the the style and, and the audacity of this art team to right. put a book together like this. It very much feels like it's going against the grain of the homogeny of the X-Books under Claremont's all-consuming mm-hmm. narrative monster. Like, um, from this this book, because um, you're right, Jason, at the time, everything seemed, even Excalibur wasn't too dissimilar. Um in tone, so to have something that was just a talky book, because it these first couple issues there's a lot of talking heads 
and a right. lot of melodrama. Um, and I feel like it does pave the way for things like Generation X and, um, dare I say it, X-Man. Um, for us, I visually <laughs> did. Say what, you say, say what you want about X-Man, it looked different sure. to the others. Um, I feel like there's a conscious decision to, especially when Claremont leaves the books, to break from his formula and to break from his quote-unquote X-Men curse. Um, but I'd like to coin the phrase, because I do think he's also a blessing and a curse on these books, mm. often. Um, so I think X-Factor might be the, the first step, which then solidifies in his 2000 X-Factor, which is like almost the perfect run of comic books. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, his 2000 X-Factor with, uh, you're talking about the um, the detective book? Yeah, where Madrox is, is the star. Right. And, you know, reading through this, it reminds me a lot of the all-new, all-different X-Factor that was like 2012-ish, maybe? 2013? Yes. Uh, because that was also very stylized, and was the team coming together? A lot of similar uh, uh, team members here, but was it had a purpose and was quite unique. So it's 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 amazing to see that that's something that uh, David likes to stick with. Like, this is the theme of the book. Uh, un- un- unlike the Game of Thrones writers, the TV writers, Peter David understands what the theme is, and it, they're not just for f- fifth grade book reports, um, <laughs> which is a quote from the Game of Thrones writers. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You imagine you imagine being given the, the reins to, like, a, a $500 million TV series and not understanding what a theme is. But um, I... Uh, what I wanted to bring up, uh, and this is just something I noticed, but this is one of the... F- is this the first time where multiple men is quote-unquote killed and then we realize it wasn't really the real multiple men being killed? Like, this goes on a number of times, right? Even I don't remember. It could be. I'm trying to rack my brain now. Um, it may be. It might be. There is the trope. Um, which is even more tropey now that he can be resurrected uh, from Kukko and Method. Wouldn't that be something weird to explore? Like, if can they bring back one of his dupes as, like, a separate entity? Oh, like in, Mon- like in Dawn of X days? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. A film of a different personality. Right. Um... We'll never know until this pandemic is over. We will never know. <laughs> um, no, it was. Uh, it's, it's nice discussing it, uh, X Factor, with you guys, because um, honestly, time. I told you before the podcast when I read this collection because I was excited to buy this epic collection of it. Um, the first couple of issues, I was like, "Yay!" and then no. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm hoping that. Um, because the art stays mostly consistent. Um, well, I rem- in my head, the art stays... Because it goes from Strowman to... Is it Jay Lee and then Quesada? Or is it Quesada then Jay Lee? Um, I think it's Jay Lee first, isn't it? Okay, yeah, because I know he does like the crossover. Uh, the Executioner song, he does mm. those issues. But um, unfortunately, uh, for some... The, the um, oh my god, there's like a million. I'm not even gonna say. According to this um, um, book, there's like 15 
pencils. So, oh, okay, okay. Um, I don't, yeah. Huh. I think I think Kisada goes first because it looks like his work on issue. What issue is this? Eighty something. I want to say eighty something. Okay. Um, eighty-three. It looks like his work on eighty-three, which has a horrible front cover. But we can Uh-oh. get. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a year, okay? Yeah, Chill out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this is a great, uh, a, a great, obviously kickoff issue. But uh, you know, aside from that, it was just great storytelling, great way to introduce the characters, wonderful artwork. It's like if you wanted a great way to like get me interested in a team, this is it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. Not. It's funny because I don't. I bought this one, and for whatever reason, I don't have the next couple of issues. So I'll definitely be reading them on a uh, Marvel Unlimited and and kind of getting back into this book. It was, it was very very good kickoff. Very interesting. Cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on to talk. Uh, not just about this book, but uh, the other books as well. Uh, I'm kind of sad that you had to read uh, Generation X. I'm sad that we had to read it. But, but you I know, just, I need to get the larger context. Of it. <laughs> I, I, hearing y'all talk about the first several issues, it sounds like it was probably pretty great. So I, I'm looking forward to eventually getting there um, and catching back up. But no, that one was not a good one. <laughs> uh, but I, I hope you did enjoy uh, Exiles and Excalibur because yes, those I did. are pretty good. And not to not to make y'all feel too bad, but when you do eventually get back to Alan Davis, is that that is just as good as you remember it. <laughs> I hope so. so. Yeah. Dan, any thoughts? Um. Well, it happened. Um. No. Um. <laughs> what what happened? We 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 added another book. We're, we're greedy. Oh. I, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared that we're going to end up adding X-Force and I'm going to just cry. That, that is not <laughs> happening. Don't worry. I'll just be reading everything but X-Men and Uncanny for forever. Um, but X-Factor, I'm glad we went with X-Factor and not Mutant X um, as, as as the book that we were going to read. But, um, I think, on the whole, we had three good issues and Gen X is the sort of Waiting to die? I don't know. It's just in a, a weird way. It feels like a book that's about to be cancelled as opposed to a book that's only 13 issues old. Yeah. I suppose if that's, <laughs> I suppose if that's modern Marvel, that is cancellation time. <laughs> um, right. Well, um, this is a lot of fun, uh, even though uh, my own fault, uh, time issues, sleeping in, no, whatever. No problem, no it doesn't. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but hey, I'm, if, I'm glad we did this. It felt it felt really good to not be in charge this time. So <laughs> <laughs> it, was good, it was good to to come on, and then I can just jump off and let someone else edit it. It, it was nice. <laughs> with, with my lack of preparation, I also felt like I wasn't in charge this time either. So there you go. <laughs> well, Jason, um, I'm sure everyone's aware, but uh, why don't you you let us know uh, what you're up to, um, what what you're covering next, if you got any, yeah. any big plans. So, yeah, so just real quick, uh, the Wolverine podcast that goes snicked. Uh, Twitter is at snickcast. Um, we're kind of in a flashback bonanza right now with no new books, which 
also the good thing about coming on here is I don't ha- have to miss you guys as long. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, once new books start coming back out, we'll get we'll get the Excaliburs back on there. But just doing kind of a plethora of flashbacks. I just did X Men number one, uh, ramping up from Wolverine number fifty, and kind of just a lot of random guest appearances between that. So I'm probably gonna do a couple of like really. I don't know how long episodes they'll be, but a lot of content. <laughs> cool. Like, like you know, a dozen or so issues that are just kind of have like little Wolverine spots from 1991, early 92. <laughs> um, because, you know, I am the completist who's not afraid to read anything. So, <laughs> like, well, now, Punisher 328, Wolverine's in the back having a hamburger. We're going to talk about that panel for an hour and then, yeah. Right. <laughs> No, it probably won't be an hour, but yeah. But yeah so yeah, I definitely, you know, if you're interested in that, check it out. I try to, I try to make it enjoyable for all, because there's a lot of different types of Wolverine fans, right? People who like different aspects of the character. Some like the really like, oh, slice and dice, and some like the more, you know, samurai guy. And so I try to, I try to give a little bit of, of something for everybody, you know, despite my bias for what the things I like. <laughs> Um, and, you know, try to make the show fun. And obviously, you know, guests are very integral to that. So um, always love when you guys come on. It was very happy to return the favor today. We we love having you. We love being on your show and talking uh, all the Dawn of X books because for the most, well, uh, there there are a number of those books that we really, really love. Um, Right. Yeah, but this is fun. Uh, Any any last words, Dan? Um, I enjoyed uh, chatting with you both once again um it's nice to have you on here uh for once and you might as well come back as much as you want because okay. the, the, yeah in these uncertain times the, um, we, can, <laughs> we are a pandemic x-factor expert that feels like there's more x's there than uh, <laughs> say, an x- x-demic yeah i gotta change the name to x-demic x-demic um, yeah Yes, it's been lovely talking uh, about these books, and um, maybe, maybe you'll convince me that I like more than four issues of this X Factor run. Um, we'll so see. We'll, 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 we'll go, we'll go the distance. Yep. I say that really like fearful, but yes. um, <laughs> like you shouldn't be at that point with this book. I mean, if it was Generation X, I would understand, but not with this book yet. I'm yeah. sad. That- I'm just like, because there's, there's a distinct front cover of Gen X um, where it's uh, Monet who looks like a child um, with like a scared deer face. And I just remember that issue being 10 million times worse than what we just read. So I'm just waiting oh, wow. for that to turn up. I'm okay. waiting for that to turn up now. I'm sure that's soon. <laughs> well, you know, um, the problem, another problem with that Gen X book is. There, there are chunks that just aren't on Marvel Unlimited. So, like, it jumps from, uh, was it, issue, issue, or oh, maybe they're being loaded now? I'm just looking at Marvel Unlimited now. Nope, they're still blank. So we go from, like, 12 to, like, 25 with nothing, nothing in there. So right. it's, it's a problem. They uh, know, they know, they know what you want to read. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Then I'm, I'm looking uh, here again. It looks like we go from 31 up until 63 with nothing on Marvel Unlimited as well. So I don't know if they're, like, putting it in piece by piece or if they, like, don't have copies of those issues. I don't know what happened here. Uh, 
Yeah, I think sometimes it's a demand thing. Right. They'll put stuff in they know people want to read, and they'll eventually fill in the rest. The issue, issue, what you just mentioned, 25 to 31, that's Dodson. And the 63, did you say? Yeah. Um, Is, I believe, is when Warren Ellis destroys the book. Oh. Like he's but, he's a big, but he's a big name, so I right. guess. Yeah, because yeah, he, he destroys, single-handedly destroys um, Gen X, X-Force, and something else in some sort of weird crossover-y thing, which was crossover by name. He just kills us. Huh. Shockwave. <laughs> Shockwave. That sounds great. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, like, Jason, we loved having you on. Everyone should definitely... Uh, check out Snickcast, though. I, I'm, I'm sure everyone already is. Um, you can find us online. Better. Uh, <laughs> better. Jason's coming for you. Um, <laughs> you can find us. Uh, just just Google uh, Excalibros will pop up. We're on Twitter. We're everywhere. Uh, Dan, uh, lovely. Uh, thanks for, for keeping Jason uh, occupied until my, my brain decided to wake me up. And um, <laughs> I appreciate everything, guys. Thanks so much. All right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you guys, and we'll talk again soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Cool. All right. Bye. Bye.